right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast. Uh, this Bizzlecast is primarily an announcement, but I didn't want to just do an announcement as a podcast. So I'm here to talk about um, some very important and timely uh, topics and Bizzlecast events um, and sort of a quickie uh, with uh, my go-to number one dad, Papa Bizzle. Papa <laughs> B, welcome back as always. Hey, thanks. Hey out there, Bizzle crew. So the announcement is, uh, right now it is uh, Thursday, July 20th. Um, A week from now is going to be uh, the 10th anniversary of the release of the first episode of The Guild, uh, Felicia Day's web series masterpiece that completely revolutionized both uh, the web series medium as well as nerd culture 10 years later. um, It was... Just as an example, you know that it's San Diego Comic-Con this weekend, the original one, uh, and you know the the numbers keep going up. I'm hearing there's over 200,000 people who are sort of officially part of some part of it, and that it might be closer to a half million when you include everyone sort of in the area for the week or two around it. Well, frankly, that's a little hard to comprehend. I mean, a half (laughs) a half a million people. Wow, San Diego. Wow, for nerd for nerd stuff. Mm. And, uh, you know, they're definitely doing a lot of guild panels. I think Felicia and some of the main characters are going to be there. You know, people realize, uh, you know, when they, uh, in their fifth season, um, and, and the announcement, guys, which I'll say now, I'll say it again in the beginning and at the end, uh, is that I'm releasing commentaries for all six, quote unquote, seasons of the guild. Uh, a season of the guild is basically 10 to 12 short episodes. So they're about an hour 20, hour 30, uh, a piece. They're basically movies. Uh, in web series format. I'm going to be releasing commentaries uh, for all six, uh, hopefully the, the day of or just before the day of the anniversary a, a week from now. Um, it, it's a bit of a, a coincidence that it's happening at the same time as uh, as Comic-Con. And so I wanted to bring my dad on because he's seen sort of every stage of my nerd and non-nerd um, you know, personal culture and existence or whatever you want to call it, you know, experience, um, so, you know, since I was a little kid. Um, but to you, it, it, you know, being the parent, uh, it's probably not as sort of choppy and uneven as it seems to me, I would think. Right. Right. right, right. Um, so I, I don't want to, you know, do an entire biography here, but I did think this would be a, a good time um, announcing and celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Guild to kind of talk about how far it's come. Um, but before I dive into that, um, really quickly, you've seen a little bit of it. It's not really your thing, the Guild, but you definitely uh, like and find very appealing uh, both Felicia Day and Will Wheaton, who are two of the pillars of uh, modern nerd culture and the nerd renaissance. Right. Um, what is it about characters like that that even to someone like you, who's not so immersed as someone like me, is sort of appealing about them, about Allison Hayslip, about you know these these kind of nerd personalities online that that we've kind of gotten to know and love well i mean i i would say i would i would get rid of the n-word and just say that it's their personalities um they're they're very refreshing people they're extremely smart and creative uh they're very funny they're very playful um it's just it's very sort of pro-social you know the the uh the content is very pro-social um so it's just refreshing i think uh just watching them 
and uh, uh, is it very appealing. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, <clears throat> you know, Wheaton and some of the guys are a little bit older than me. You know, he was like the teen heartthrob on Star Trek when I was still a little kid. Right. Um, but Felicia and, and Allison Hayslip and a lot of these characters on Nerdist and Geek and Sundry are very much around my age. We always are talking about the 1981 birthdays, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. including actresses like Natalie Portman and Anne Hathaway and, you know, a mil- and millions of others. There's something about that late 70s, early 80s birthday. Um, and the fact that, you know, even though a lot of people who listen to and follow nerd stuff, um, and I agree with you, and I, I, at this point, when we say nerd, it's more just talking about what they're interested in and talking about as opposed to their personalities. Right. And that's the big thing that's changed, right? Since I was a kid, is that now it's about, you know, um, you know, Wheaton always says, uh, you know, the term nerd has to do not with what you love, but how you love it. And, you know, and, and as we always talk about this sort of reaction to sort of cynical, ironic hipsterism where, you know, nerds are saying, no, we'd love this thing passionately. We're going to dress up as Wonder Woman and see the movie a million times. And like, it's important to us and we're going to form a culture around it, you know, Um, and and be uncynical about the whole thing. I I, I think uh, is earnest earnestness kind of a right word to talk about the sort of felicia day will wheaton approach to this right those are a couple adjectives that i left out that that are are really good the the uncynical and the earnestness of of it all i think i tried i guess i went to refreshing instead of those two but that that's what i i meant yeah and you know i think you know, kids today, as we've talked about, you know, I've had Ethan on the podcast a couple times, and I work with lots of younger kids. Yeah. To them, the line between what's nerdy and not nerdy is is almost non-existent, which proves the point that you made a minute ago. Um, it doesn't affect how popular you are, how cool you're perceived, or whatever, mm-hmm. the way it used to. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, nerds of my generation did face, I mean, I never faced uh, repercussions because I just hid it from everyone basically and you know but I, people who are openly nerdy in my generation you know were made fun of and i'm sure in many cases beat up and stuff like that you know like you see in the old 80s movies and stuff like that so uh, my generation did have to go through some stuff in order to gain uh acceptance um but i think the fact that for the most part the nerd um the sort of the faces and the people behind this sort of extended nerdist community. Uh, and just really quickly, people, when I say nerdist, uh, I'm talking about the, the Chris Hardwick formed, but now is much bigger than him and includes Felicia Day's company, Geek and Sundry, and it's owned by Legendary Pictures, which is one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world. And so it's, you know, it's a sprawling, massive, tons of content uh, channel, deals with, with all the things, Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, X-Men, you know, Marvel, everything you can think of, dealing with all that stuff stuff as well as science and role-playing games and you know just stuff that you never would have thought would be so popular and, and available when, when when we were kids sort of the extended nerdist network but again a lot of them are around my age even mm-hmm. though they're, they're they're going for a younger audience um and you know ethan uh is almost in awe of the fact that i experienced the original nintendo games when they happened you know like yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to, as soon as you said that, I was starting to make uh, computer slash digital connections to the to the timing of all of this. I mean, you know, uh, how old were you when you got your Apple, you know, whatever, whatever, the GS2 or whatever it was called? Right, 
so you guys got me a computer, my Apple II GS, uh, which is the most advanced of the Apple II computers, which were very, very influential. They were basically the predecessors of the iMac. I mean, that's what the iMac yes. became. Yes. Sort of powerful, but easy to use and, and really uh, aesthetically attractive, um, intuitive uh, home devices. That must have been when I was, what, eight or nine, something like that, like late, late 80s. I, I, you were pretty young. I might have been uh, earlier. If, if you gave me the choice, I would say eight instead of nine. And but yeah. but it could have been seven. My recollection was seven, but then uh, I uh, this came up at another time, and we were like, it couldn't have been 1988. Could have really been that early. Yeah, it could could have been. Yeah, and so I was on the computer early. We had an internet. I mean, I got AOL before most people had AOL, and then we got like you know VoiceNet, which was just a straight up ISP internet service, you know, with Netscape and all of that way before everybody else. So I had this whole alternative life outside of school, and I had a handful of school friends that were into it. Um, you know, as you remember, but for which, the most which, part, which is a little you know, surprising because what, what now? What are you talking about? Grade school or middle or high school? It's hard for me to remember much before sixth grade, but like in, in middle school, middle. like Zach and a couple other guys mm. were into that stuff. And that was really it. But by the time you got to high school, I mean, you were surrounded by so many smart kids. I'm surprised that there weren't, you know, a fair number of kids with similar kind of interest to, to yours, like a bunch. No? Yeah, I think actually my high school friends were really nerdy. We just didn't think of it. I mean, we got like dressed up, you know, to go to the Star Wars prequel, like the night it was released, you know, we were like in costume and stuff like that was cosplay. Like we were huge nerds. So that it was already changing at that point, And I just wasn't aware of it. Um, you know, we love Star Wars. We love seeing movies like The Matrix and, you know, Memento and movies like that. Um, and my camp friends, you know, were too, you know, I always tell that story about about how I couldn't believe when I got to camp that you had all of these smart, cute girls who not only liked you in spite of the fact that you were an awkward nerd, but because you were an awkward nerd. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so, uh, you know, uh, ironic. I don't know if ironic's the right word. So many years later, because basically from high school through college, through New York until Philly, up until a couple of years ago, I still had a lot of nerd interest. But things like reading comic books or seeing all the movies that were out there and, you know, watching nerdy properties, like it wasn't a big priority for me from like 17 to 20 seven or something you right, know you just right. you just have so many other things and mm-hmm. we hadn't seen you know the avengers hadn't come out yet so we didn't have the rebirth of comic book movies and you know i mean the star wars hadn't been rebooted like there was just lots of cultural stuff um the, the guild you know i didn't even see the guild till a few years later uh, after it was out um when you would think normally that would be something i'd be watching but you know i was talking to you about uh, you know, one of my big nerd crushes, Allison Hayslip, on the Nerdist Network, because even though she's like Irish Italian, she is from North Jersey. Like she grew up near Bridgewater. And so the way she talks and acts uh, is very reminiscent of the girls I went to camp with. Yes. Who are, who, who are very much from that area yeah. of, of Jersey, you know, confident, loud, talkative, you know, friends with guys and girls, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, want to have a good time, not make anyone feel awkward about things like all those great qualities. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny to think that like I could have been 
even nerdier at camp than I was and still gotten away with it, you know. I still felt like I was may- maybe I was hiding it a little bit at that point. Uh-huh. Um, but it does feel like, you know, a, a lot of these people are actors and, and, and stuff like that who have now re-embraced things now that the last like 10 years or so have seen a, a rebirth of this culture. Um, and do you think it's possible just to frame this as a question that it, like that nerd culture was always going to be fringe until something like the advanced version of the internet occurred basically? Well, because Comic-Con didn't majorly take off until social media and, you know, high speed uh, and stuff. Oh, like that. Oh, that, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, su- I suppose it was the internet was an accelerant, but I think with the birth of computers and and the the gaming platforms and stuff, I think you know that that was the that was the you know original genesis of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they I mean, they 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 were they were pre digital nerds, you know. Like they were stamp collectors and coin collectors, and you know the 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 drill down brainy guys and gals that had had those kind of hobbies. But then I think with with the digital component, it it really took off. Yeah, yeah, and I think for me, you know, the big thing and. Uh, I still have one guild season uh, to to record, so maybe uh, in the in the final guild season I'll, I'll be a little bit more introspective um, about the whole thing and you know how it it, it hits so many it, it hits home in so many ways. Even though I was never like a World of Warcraft person, which is what the show's about, but in terms of the, sort of the nerd maturing experience, um, you know, r- really hits home in a poignant but uh, but hilarious way. But I think that the the reason that it's sort of too distinct distinct periods for me and there was a big gap in the middle is that the period when I was a kid my imagination was like my outlet of whenever I was angry or depressed or whatever you know like I I was a very introspective kid at times Mm -hmm. and you know and and so it it, it was it was escapist in a lot of ways you know Uh, I mean more so than it is now for me now it's more escapist in sort of the um hearkening back to a simpler time, you know, where we have good guys who fight bad guys and things like that, you know? Like, I'm not trying to escape myself so much anymore as as much as it is reality. And, you, know, you know, I'm not sure that it, it's fundamentally escapist. I, to me, it seems like it's sort of more fundamentally immersive. That's sort mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. the pull of it. Right, right. Yeah, it's not escapist for me now, but it's but it is providing an, an alternate vision to the horrible bullshit, you know, politically and so forth. That's that's going on, you know. I mean, if you just look at the Star Wars movies, now all the major characters are like not white males who are like the stars, or not always at least, you know. Like right. they they are realizing kind of utopianism. I mean, what's the hottest thing everyone's talking about right now? Wonder Woman and then Black Panther. You know, I mean the the. the we always expect Hollywood to be always kind of one foot forward and one foot back with everything that it does, mm-hmm. uh, but it is providing a place. Look, I'm sorry, it's not a coincidence that Wonder Woman is doing this well in in the tr- during the first year of the Trump presidency. I'm not saying it wouldn't have done well during the Obama presidency, but. You know, I mean, there are factors in the real world that factor into, um, you know, 
I don't know. It's, you're right. It's not escapism. I'm, I'm not finding the word. Um, uh, it's a Freudian term, and I always mix them up. It's not projection. It's what's the thing? What's the word? Uh, the Freudian word for like when you can't do something that's socially acceptable, you find a way to do it differently in the world. Um, we both know what this word is, but we're just forgetting. Is it? Uh, it- it's not, it's not sublimation. Sublimation, yeah, sublimation, yeah. Okay. But there's sort of there's sort of a conscious sublimation going on, you know, of uh, right of of uh, of desires uh, or needs and wants that aren't being uh, realized in the real world, because yeah. otherwise you wouldn't would it wouldn't be grown adults behind all this stuff, right? Right, I think that it's um, you know, I mean, with Wonder Woman, it's uh, we're we're always looking for great heroes, and I think that's the draw of sports too. I mean, people are looking for super, you know, superhuman hero types. Um, it's uh, it just has a fascination and a, and a seduction for for the human brain. Yeah, and now esports, which is just watching other people compete on video games at a high level, is like a multi-billion-dollar industry worldwide. <clears throat> and a lot of sports companies, like actual athletic sports companies, are buying or investing in esports companies wow. because there are bars and, and and clubs that you can go to now worldwide specifically to watch like the best StarCraft players or the best Call of Duty players or whatever wow. go at it. They have um, holographic technology now, so if you go to like the big events for this stuff they can project the like the map that everything's happening on like in three dimensions right and you can watch it happen holographically i mean you know this is this is the future but i think you know and that's the other thing is that i think people underestimated the extent to which we the nerds were futurists and not just sci-fi aficionados Mm. right 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 now, in, terms mean, of, yeah, in terms of in terms of the the Genesis discussion that we're having, d- does Dungeons and Dragons predate the digital the digital world? Yes, but not by a lot. Um, it was originally from the seventies, oh. um, but books started coming out almost immediately on it. And um, actually, one of the earliest space tourists, uh, Richard Garriott. Uh, designed the Ultima line of role-playing games, which was considered like the first modern role-playing game in like I don't know the early '80s. He got so rich off that and other things. He he, he actually went on one of the uh, those space tours or whatever. Uh, but that was one of the first game series that that took Dun- Dungeons and Dragons and put it on computers. And role-playing games have arguably been the most long-lasting of all the genres. I mean, mm. at the moment they're overshadowed by all the shooters, which are really boring. Right. Um, but they have the 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 biggest followings and so when you go to a convention you definitely don't see people dressed up like call of duty you do see them dressed up by i don't know if you know this so dragon age is like a major rpg uh video game rpg that they also made a regular rpg that will wheaton did on season one um of uh tabletop with chris hardwick and the hilarious nerdy dude from Big Bang Theory, who owns the comic book shop, who is also in Wet Hot American Summer, I always forget his 
name uh-huh. um, and some other guys, and they played like the actual RPG. Anyways, they made they <laughs> they, they made a movie, a basic like a TV movie starring Felicia Day of that. So they basically made her into a video game avatar for real in, in you know in, in like a, huh. a, a, a spinoff called Dragon Age Redemption. But people come dressed up to the, you know, the comic book conventions uh, like that. Um, let me ask you about that. So we're going to go too long here. Comic-Con hasn't happened yet. Uh, you know, I'm going to give you the highlights. I normally don't care two shits about it, but because of Wonder Woman and then we got all the DC announcements, we got the Defenders stuff. Mm-hmm. They're already, the four of them, dad, they're already posting hilarious photos online. That's great. Um, and uh, I think that's going to be a lot of fun tomorrow. And then on Saturday is the DC panel. And of course, Marvel will have plenty of stuff. What do you make of cosplaying? The sort of super serious dressing up um, of people of you know comic books movies and video games hmm well wait, wait, let me make sure I understood the term you cosplay what do you say cosplaying it's called cosplaying which is yeah it's it's just extreme costume making designing and wearing for specifically for these properties I mean it's been happening forever with Star Wars yeah. But since Comic-Con took off, off in the last 15 or 20 years, it started to be for all, sort of all nerd properties. Like, what's, what's, you know, what's your initial reaction you know, when you see well, that? Well, you know, um, for, for my, my first master's, my, my thesis, my research was on, on make-believe play in, in children. And uh, I was really interested in make-believe as a, as a cognitive phenomenon in, in child development. And I think it's a very powerful uh, force – um, in child development, and I think that a lot of uh, a lot of adults find a way to kind of recapture it in 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 one of these, and I'm going to say immersive, not escapist, and these immersive um, hobby interests, um, fascinations that they they develop. So I think that that uh, make believe is. Um, I mean, I think that's why we love the movies and everything as well, but. So it's just an extension of 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 all of that, uh, making believe and identifying with a with a uh, you know like a s- seductive uh, hero personality. Yeah, but I also think there's artwork going on. I mean, some of these costumes, you know, they're professional cosplayers. They're like professional costume designers. And mm. in fact, uh, Amy Okuda's character, the beautiful uh, young Asian lady in the guild. Um, who, by the way, um, so you know the the sexy but controversy uh, slave Princess Leia costume from you know Return of the Jedi. You must remember this because I watched the movie a million times. And by yeah. the way, another one of a thousand reasons I love Alison Hayslip is her favorite Star Wars movies, Return of the Jedi. It's like <laughs> me, her, and Paul Herman are the only three. We lo- we love the Ewoks. Everyone else hates the Ewoks for some reason. I love the Ewoks, but um, you know she's wearing that slave costume in the beginning. You yeah. know, just r- ridiculous. But women have. Re- claimed it you know by by make, making it fit for their body types and designing it anyways uh, sort of midway through season five of the guild where they're at a comic book convention the whole season amy okuda is wearing slave leia outfit and i'm i'm doing the commentary and i'm just going <laughs> com- bizzle focus bizzle focus <laughs> focus bizzle <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know me i don't always love the asian girls but man right, she, right. she is a beauty but um she is 
Yeah, but the point is, she, that's part of her storyline is that her her she's adopted by a white family, mm. and, and we don't find that out. And they they're sending her, they think to pre med, but she wants to be a fashion designer, and oh. you know, and we're seeing her with all this amazing cosplay, and she says it's just because she's hiding from her family. It ends up that she has good reason, and you know, Felicia Day outs her and whatever, so she can confront her family, but. You know, she wants to be a professional designer. And I think, you know, fashion design is like a huge part of it, is the aesthetics. And I wonder uh-huh. if, so to phrase it in something from your generation, if you take the best of the cosplayers, how do you think Andy Warhol would feel about this whole thing? I think he would like it, honestly. I think he would give mostly thumbs up, but I don't know enough about him. Uh,. I'm trying to get the the intersection. In terms of the lowbrow, highbrow, pop art, you know, yes. are we just making pop art to comment on pop art? Are we making pop art to be ironic about it? Or are we just making it to be whatever? Uh, I, I, again, I, I'm, I, I'm just going to go, I go with the positive interpretation. I think yeah. just, people are, are, are fascinated. It's like you talk about the costume design, that that's like a, a strong avocational interest for people. Yeah. Uh, probably not a vocational interest for 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 most, right? Who who do some, it? It's, some, not many, but, but some. but not many, right? So it's just you know people love their hobbies and their avocational interests, and um, it's just uh, a great way for people to to self actualize. So I think one of the turning points of this culture. I'm just going to predict this right now, and then I'll throw you a couple quickies, and we'll close it out. Okay. Um, is I've told you about this, but it's 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 a little. Wonky, so I don't know if this ever really got communicated. So, Ernest Klein is a writer who is about a little bit older than me. He's Will Wheaton's age. He's very close to Will Wheaton. Do you know who Corey Doctorow is? I don't. Son of? Oh, really? Yeah. Son of? Huh. Um, he, like Neil Gaiman, uh, by the way, you and I need to do some Neil Gaiman talking off mic later, but um, <laughs> I just watched the episode where he's in the guild and Zabu kidnaps him and starts threatening his life. It's, it's so funny. Mm. Um, but, but um, so, uh, yeah, so Cord Doctor and Will Wheaton and er- Ernie Klein, as I call him, three really good friends. He wrote a book a couple years back called Ready Player One. Which takes the well. Let me let me let me uh, let me um, lead with the lead. What do they say? Let me. Uh, let me well, up. they say don't bury the lead. I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm going to unbury the lead. <laughs> All right. Steven Spielberg is making a movie out of this. Oh, like a major major film. Wow. And it's written by a guy who's roughly my age, a little bit older, who has all the same memories of those great '80s. I mean, think about the video games mixed with the TV shows. Yeah. Excuse me. Mixed with all the cartoons I used to watch. Yeah. I mean, like literally, like Allison and her podcast friends, they'll sing the theme songs to like these cartoons that I watched when I was six. People, these younger people must have no idea what's going on, <laughs> but they worship it. And and the book is about a future society, um, maybe twenty years from now, which was created by a guy that's from my generation, but he's no longer alive at that point. And it's a complete virtual reality world, like completely immersive. Like you can do and go anywhere mm-hmm. from any. Like, we, it turns out the main character, spoiler alert, we learn like a third of the way through, basically lives in like a trailer park in the middle of Nebraska. 
Mm. But he's like one of the highest level players. And in order to complete your tasks, you need to like beat the original Pac-Man and like memorize the lyrics to the uh, the words to the Breakfast Club. And it's like all of these 80s references. Mm. And, and, and because the designer was obsessed with the 80s the same way the actual writer Ernie Klein is obsessed with the 80s, that actually becomes the 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 the, the challenge for the players, right? For the ready players in the in the story. And so it's going to be really interesting and super meta when that movie gets released. I know a lot of people have read it. It's sort of in the young young adult fiction in terms oh. of level of reading ability needed but it, it's very much an, an all ages story you know there's a love story and then talking about corporations trying to bring it down and stuff like i mean there's a lot of a lot of interesting social themes uh, going on in it but steven spielberg making that kind of movie about that subject matter from those you know those types of people i think will be a really really interesting moment in our society where you know where maybe we realize that there's a it, it's almost too much throwback retro stuff that's something that annoys me about about this community sometimes is uh-huh. how you know obsessed with the past people are and and their inability to realize or recognize how much they're romanticizing things like the uh-huh. Star Wars. Yeah, right, 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 right. You know, I mean, I I love the original Star Wars movies too, but like, you know, I'm not going to say they're a thousand times better than The Force Awakens or Rogue One just because they were classics, you know? I mean, I'm going to look at them, you know, sort of look at them like movies. And so I do wonder about when sort of the generation, I I guess what I'm, I'm wondering is, I think there's going to be a jump between my generation and sort of Ethan's generation. Um, uh, like that they're going to be the next wave in some ways, uh, because the kids in between got sort of caught up in reality television and social media, right? Which is part of it, but not the whole equation. By the way, Dad, talk about super meta. So I don't know if Mom told you that you know the Reggios are on the West Coast and they're like accidentally stumbling across Comic Con and Ellie was getting very scared because there were people dressed up as stuff everywhere. Yeah, I think you you told me uh. Last night. Well, I got. Te- I just got a text from mom two minutes ago that they took Zach, my cousin Zachary, who's like fourteen, to the Blizzard Entertainment headquarters, and he was like so in heaven that, that like they couldn't even get him to leave. Blizzard, of course, invented both Warcraft and Starcraft, two properties that I love growing up. They also now have Overwatch, which is the highest rated and most played game. It's basically a shoot. It's like a shooter, but it's a fun shooter. You're playing all sorts of goofy like cartoon characters but it's just the mechanics are really fun so it's not particularly bloody or realistic it's just really 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 fun and addictive supposedly mm-hmm. um uh, the podcast with ethan i'm going to be releasing soon hopefully uh, we, he talks about overwatch so that's probably where zach knows them so yeah so i mean you know you bought me freaking you know warcraft like uh, the strategy game in like 1996 and here we are 20 years later my little cousins at the blizzard headquarters yeah, that's you know and, and it's like it's like absolute heaven um so like my final uh question we might have a sub question there too is just you know like you never you guys would always get me you know games that i wanted and books and fantasy and science fiction whenever you guys expressed um that's the word i'm looking for 
Whenever you guys expressed concern during kind of my adolescence, it had more to do with my like socializing or lack thereof as opposed to the things I was doing in my own time. Right. Did you just have an innate feeling that like the the the, the games and the books and stuff were um, not only not harmful, but, but were helpful on some level, or you were just trusted, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I have no recollection of you ever being like, oh, this stuff is stupid. Like, why are you into this or whatever? No, blah, it, blah, it, blah. It, I think we thought it was, it was clear. It just seemed evidently broadening. I mean, it, it was uh, a positive thing that you were involved in. Uh, computers seemed to be, you know, a zeitgeist and, um, science fiction has always been, well, in my view, has always been highly regarded as a as a genre, a, mm-hmm. a literary genre, and just, I mean, it just all seemed to be broadening. So, um, I don't think we ever had a second thought about it. Yeah, but the games as well, you know, the games, watching some of the same movies over and over again. I don't know. Like you just, you guys had a sense because I, I think what what nerdum is is doing is, you know, there's so much to watch on Netflix, right? And and by the way, Bizzlecast listeners, I apologize. I know I promised all sorts of Orphan Black content with my dad. I'm really sorry. We're definitely going to do some Orphan Black podcasts. He's way ahead of me, yeah. and so I want to be prepared for when we do that. There's so much to consume out there, right, Dad? Um, yeah, there TV is. TV and Amazon and Netflix. You know me, I love my YouTube shows and my podcasts, and so there's only so much you can do. But what I, I think what Nerdnub does is establish certain properties as classic, the way Firefly is classic, the sure. way Star Wars is classic, sure. the way the Guild's classic, because you need familiar territory to stand on sometimes. You can't only, you know, that's the thing with my buddy Matt Goisman. He's a huge nerd, but his way of being a nerd is to just watch as many different science fiction properties as possible one time, and whether he likes them or not. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I, I find something I love, I'll watch it over and over and over again, and that's, you know, that's an important quality to me but i think most nerds are 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 more in my my camp of of watching things they love over and over again yeah i think that's right and i think that that's an interesting response to materialism because if you're trying to make the most money as a corporation you rather people keep just trying every new property watch the new show watch the new show watch right Mm -hmm. watch the new show you Mm -hmm. sell a dvd you make money but I can then watch those Firefly DVDs 30 times. Fox isn't getting any more money from me, but I'm getting continued enjoyment from it, right? Right. right. Um, and so, do you th- in, in a weird way, it, would you agree with me that there's some not... I'm not going to say anti-materialist, because we're so far past that point. But there is... When you, when you talk about the properties that that nerds love and that people love in general that are considered nerdy, it seems like there is a bit of positive nostalgia for, you know, like Ron Howard, for example, who recently took over Han Solo, the Han Solo movie. Right. By the way, he's been smartly uh, occasionally tweeting pictures from, like, the editing room and on set and stuff like that, which is really... Uh, really nice of him (laughs) to do um but uh he talks about how you know him and his wife who had just been married he uh he said uh he were they started filming american graffiti in 72 and he said george was already talking with him about this crazy idea for star wars that ron never thought would happen 
And five years later, Ron and his relatively new wife, uh, whose name I don't know, went to go see Star Wars opening night. And then he said, well, you know, back then there wasn't, there was more demand than there were theaters. So you had to wait in long lines. He said him and his wife got out of the movie and immediately queued back up in line to wait for like 90 more minutes to see it again. And I, and I think that, that that's what nerd culture is maybe trying to tell you know, entertainment corporations is like, give us fewer things that we love and we will buy the toys. We will buy the comic books. We will buy the spinoffs. We will watch the spinoffs. Does this make sense? Well, I think it's, it's basically a, a plea for quality. Um, that's, that's what the, uh, that's the message from the consumers. So they're, they're, they're looking for, for high quality stuff that they can really immerse themselves in and, and love for some of these, pro- for decades, for some of these properties, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if we were now told, like right now, we're, hey, BBC America's like, you know, we're going to spin off two or three shows from Orphan Black. You and I would be over the moon about it. Right. And we would give them more than the benefit of the doubt, you know, that they would be quality. I don't know. Are you, do you still watch Better Call Saul? Yes. Yeah. So you watched Breaking Bad once, which you never thought you were going to do. And then you thought you were never going to watch it twice. Right. Which you're never going to do. By the way, Dad, I am, don't worry, those Breaking Bad episodes, uh, Business Class listeners, I did Breaking Bad commentaries, including a couple with my dad a while ago. But, uh, and this is a good way to tie up the, the podcast and, and finish it up is that, the, the reason I'm announcing the guild here is that I'm going to be putting it on the Bizzlecast TV um, podcast site um, because I don't want to uh, overload uh, Bizzlecasters who aren't into the guild with a bunch of episodes that they may or may not want to watch. Oh, I see. But over at that site, you can also find Jessica Jones, all 13 episodes, and the, the, you know she has another season coming out very soon. You can also find the Breaking Bad episodes, which will be coming out in the next, I would say, two to four weeks. Um, the 15th anniversary, Dad, of Firefly is yep. September 20th, and so I will be launching all 14 commentaries that Matt and I did that I haven't finished editing, um, but nice. are done. I'm going to be releasing all of those um, nice. on the Bizzlecast TV network leading up to, I'll probably le- release them before the 20th, maybe like around Labor Day mm-hmm. um, or so forth. And so um, Bizzlecast TV will be, will be very... Um, will be very operational but i think that's also why you know the, the these uh shared universes whether it's the avengers or the defenders or the justice league that people you know i mean the cynic way of looking at it is just more money for hollywood like oh yeah if we get them for avengers then we get them for everything else but i think people like that familiar territory i think that the you know the guys like stan lee had this right 80 years ago and the entertainment companies are kind of just catching up to it Yes, he did. <laughs> he, he was something. So, a couple quick things. Uh, first, of, first of all, in addition to kidnapping Neil Gaiman, Zabu, uh, Sandy Parikh also kidnapped Stan Lee in Guild Season 5, which uh, is hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, that's when he really loses it, and he realizes he's gotten, he's gotten power hungry when he realizes that his minions have captured Stan Lee, and Stan Lee does a <laughs> great job. Um, Stan Lee has been in every Marvel movie since the original X-Men and Spider-Man movies for all the studios. It doesn't matter what studio it is. He's in all of them. Um, but he did a great, which I didn't know was coming, um, a great uh, trailer narrative of uh, the Defenders. Hmm. And did you, when you first started, I, I told you it was Stan Lee, but at first I thought it was Stick that was talking. 
Oh, you know, yeah. Because I didn't know it was Stan Lee. I told you it was Stan Lee, but when I watched it, I didn't know it was going to be Stan Lee. Oh. <laughs> so I heard that like New York, maybe Jewish, maybe Italian kind of, you know, right, thing. And right. I'm like, is that stick? And I'm then like, no, that's Stan fucking Lee doing the Defenders trailer. Um, which is just awesome. Well, but then, um, I mean, then then his he appeared in 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 yes. uh, right, yeah. yeah. But but would you say um, um, this will be a final question uh, to you, and then I have a completely unrelated question that that will officially close out on. Is part of the appeal of like Marvel uh, for you at this point? Like I know we, you and I have been up and down about Agents of Shield, but for the most part, has it been appealing that a lot of the stuff's in the same universe or universes? No, uh, that, that that's not part of it. For me, it's it's the persona, you know, it's the the character, the superhero. Um, if you know, do I relate to them? Are, are they are they captivating? Are they uh, great heroes? You know, it's it's just it's just about the the lead characters for yeah. for me, and then they they wrap a story around it. But for me, it's all about the characters. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it it's a more um, it's more that great actors can help lift the material, if you will, mm-hmm. like. I still don't love Ant-Man, even though I've seen it twice, but because of Paul Rudd and um, uh, Michael uh, Pena, um, I could just wa- I, I could watch it over and over again if I wanted to, because... You right, know, well, that, I mean, that, right, that's more, more of, of a comedy, so the, the, right. you, engage, you, know, you engage with that as like, it's, it's a comedic property. Well, except, I mean, I would argue Jessica Jones is a dark comedy in some ways. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not a comedy, but it has a lot of dark comedic aspects oh, to it. For sure. For sure. I mean, she's the best at dropping the one-liners. Yeah. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, if you look at Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Danny Rand as Iron Fist, most people like Luke Cage. You and I didn't get into it. We do like Mike Coulter. We just didn't like the series. And Iron Fist is very, very split amongst fans. But I think because of the great personalities of Charlie Cox and Kristen Ritter, and, you know, overall, you know, Mike Coulter on Jessica Jones was great. Yes. It, it, it's like I'm rooting for uh, Danny Rand. You know, I'm rooting for Iron Fist to be cool in the Defenders sure. because because of them. I think that's sort of the carryover bonus, sure, um, or whatever. We're um, just we're just always looking for great characters. Yeah. I mean, you know, anytime we we talk about a movie, it, 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 we're usually going to we're going to talk about the character. You talk about the Coen Brothers movie. You talk about Lebowski. You talk about the characters. Mm-hmm. The Jesus. Jesus. All right. So I've never done this to you before. So I'm just going to say a few names. Yeah. Um, and I want you to just give me a one or two word answer of what comes to mind. Okay. All right. You ready? Oh, yeah. I'll try and prime you up with some, some, uh, soft, some softballs. Okay. Soft pitches. Felicia Day. Uh, charming. Lo- lovable. Will Wheaton. Uh, Renaissance man. Mm. Gal Gadot. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just the most perfect woman in the world. Which is funny because my female friends say the same thing. The women see her as also the most perfect woman in the world, which is great. 
And you know, and that's based on on seeing her on a lot of talk shows. So it's not just oh, yeah. you know the, the the movie persona. She's a mom. I mean, she's a she's yeah, you know right. she's a mom, a wife. She's a mom, a wife. She eats healthy. She exercises. I mean, she's just like a normal person. Yeah, yeah. She's she's perfect. All right, Chris Pine. It, it, lovable. Mm-hmm. Hysterical. <clears throat> Anthony Mackie. charismatic who's going to be in detroit with john boyega coming yes up. yeah yeah he is i, I saw the trailer mm-hmm. all right a couple more <clears throat> um oh of course now i'm forgetting them oh yeah allison hayslip well i haven't been exposed to her enough yet but um uh, zane i'll say zany yes yes definitely zany definitely zany um how about chris hemsworth Oh, hysterical mm-hmm. um, and a hunk. Mm-hmm. A hysterical hunk. He is a hysterical hunk. Yeah, he's so freaking funny. All right, a couple more, okay? Mm-hmm. Ivanka Trump. <laughs> uh, a Stepford hottie. Hey, don't insult Stepford wives, okay? I won't have any of that on this show. (laughs) Stepford abuse. Michelle Obama. The second perfect woman. (laughs) (laughs) Although, I I, I will say, I I, I wouldn't want to be married to her. She's a handful. I mean, she is tough. She is tough on him. Yeah, but he needs it. He wants it. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he he can handle it. Let's put it that way. Yes. Yeah, he can definitely handle yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, he could definitely handle it. She she kicks butt and takes names later. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe two more. Um, Maria Doyle Kennedy. Maria Doyle Kennedy. Who's she? Miss S. Oh, Miss S. Oh, Wow. Um, uh, w- would love to have her as, as a mom. She's so committed to her kids, passionately committed to her kids, and and she'll kill for them, literally. And kind of a milf. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. She is. She's re- really attractive woman, middle aged woman. Yeah, and she can sing, sing the lights out. Um. Uh, why do I always forget his last name? Jordan Gavares. Yeah. Oh my God. One of the you know all time funniest creations. His Felix is one of the all time funniest mm-hmm. characters ever, and he just he's just so lovable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So uh, I won't drop any more names. Two. Two. Uh, a couple quick questions. Um. Which actress? movie actress would you want to see in at this point let's say from now for the next ten, five to ten years yeah okay so from now until the time that the boys are you know are like teenagers yeah what actress would you most like to see generally in any film no matter what it is well, you know, my two favorite actresses at the moment are Gal Gadot and, and Tatiana Maslany. So I would like to see them have gangbuster careers. 
Interesting. It will be interesting to see. I mean, Tatiana will certainly succeed. Gal has the chops. It'll be interesting to see how long her DC stay is, though, because she's she's become more important to DC than Chris Evans is to Marvel. Because mm. even though Captain America is the most loved of the Avengers right now, right. it was Iron Man for a long time, right. you know, and you have Thor, but she's by far the most loved. And so the fact that they're already announcing the next movie date at, at Comic-Con will be interesting. Um, and with her devotion to her family, I can't see her trying to fit in lots of other films. Right. Um, the good news for her is she's going to look amazing forever. Right. Uh, and uh, because unlike most Israeli uh, women, she's taking care of herself uh, pretty well. Mm. Um, so her beauty should say, okay, um, well, I guess I, I can't knock that answer. I guess I was asking more about, um, you know, m- mainstream, occasionally nominated kind of, of actresses. Yeah, I, I kind of thought that you were, but I yeah. just, th- these two are really on, on my mind. And there's, you know, there's ten, ten other. Uh, you were actually asking about actresses, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's probably ten, ten others. You know that I, I love seeing on the screen: yeah. Emma Stone and um, mm-hmm. Kate uh, Tilda. Right, right, right. Uh, By the way, do you know what movie you and I should probably rewatch after all these years because of just the actors? Hmm. Burn after reading. Oh. I yeah, think I watch Burn After Reading. I, I kind of watched it cursorily on cable, and I, you know, I it, it would be worth a, a serious second look. I think if you and I were sitting, you know, watching Brad Pitt and Francis, what's her face, act like yeah. a bunch of idiots, I think Do we would be Burn laughing pretty hard. Yes, right. Yeah. All right. Final okay. question. Yeah. Best movie ever. Best movie ever. <laughs> Des, des, or just, just put it this way, Desert Island movie. The, if you could only have this movie to watch over and over again. Well, yeah, so I suppose for me, it's, um, it's, it's, it's Oh Brother. Wow. Yep. Over Lebowski. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> but if I could have three, it would probably be Oh Brother, Lebowski, and, and, and uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. By the way, speaking of the uh, Coen brothers, I heard an interesting fan theory uh, that makes me want to watch Old Country for No Men, which or No Country, sorry, No Country for Old Men, which I have trouble getting through because every time I watch No Country for Old Men, I just want to watch There Will Be Blood. Um, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. By the way, if you ask me, best actor ever, it would be Daniel Day Lewis. But apparently, he's retired for now, so we'll have to see what happens with that. But um. Uh, th- that if you watch No Country, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, not only don't Tommy Lee Jones and Javier Bardem's character never actually cross paths the entire movie, mm. but there's like a couple times when you think Javier Bardem is there or Tommy Lee Jones thinks he's there and he's not. And so some people think it's a fight club thing where it's actually a split personality. Oh, I see. Hence the sort of excessive kind of guilt and confusion of... Mm. Uh, of uh <laughs> tommy lee jones so all right papa beat why well, i appreciate it this is definitely a quickie as bizzle cast goes um right. we're gonna be seeing dunkirk this weekend oh that was my actual final question and i promise we'll sign off which is one of the things you and i were rolling our eyes at when we first saw the dunkirk trailer was pg-13 really yeah. you know like this seems like it's a war movie it has to be rated r 
But then we see it's what, an hour and 48 minutes, mm-hmm. did you say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's with credits, so it's really like an hour 36 minutes or whatever. And, you know, I've heard that the, the lack of the rated R rating is, is wasn't because they were trying to get it, but because the, the blood and the violence was not the thing that... Um, Chris Nolan was trying to concentrate. Was going for, right, right. I think we're going to be blown away by this movie. I, I do, too. I think it's going to be a, a, yeah. a really artistic uh, kind of tour de force. Oh, that was my last person, and then we're really going to sign out. Okay, last person. Thank you, Bizzlecuts listeners. I'm going to leave you with this, with Papa B. Thank you, Papa B. All right, last person. What comes to mind? Are you ready? Yeah. Tom Hardy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, du- doubly charismatic, and I, 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 I love watching him do anything, anything, Spe- spectacular actor. You know, I mean, he's considered good looking, but you know that you're a hetero man when all the men you're attracted to aren't the same as the one that most women are attracted to. Right. So, like, I don't find Ryan Gosling particularly attractive. Right. I think Ryan Reynolds is hilarious. But, like, sexiest man alive, you know? Like, I don't really see it. But I look at Tom Hardy, and I'm just like, that is a man's man right there. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, in his career, he'll, he'll give Daniel Day-Lewis a run for his money. I really I do. I think he's that good. You just watch him as Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, you just you can't even recognize him when yeah. he does. It's extraordinary. Yeah. I, I hope he's not just, like, the pilot we occasionally see. My guess is we're going to see a decent amount of him. I hope so. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Papa Bizzle. Thank you. And um, can just really non-spoilery uh, at one to ten, how good has Orphan Black been so far? Like six episodes in. Well, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm all in on yeah. Orphan Black, so I would say uh, nine and a half. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So you think the Bizzle's going to be happy once I start rolling through? I think so. Because you know me, it's just going to be one of those, I finish dinner at 7.45 and I stop watching at like 2.30 in the morning. You know, your, your only complaint is going to be, you, you love the, all eight or nine of her characters and you're not going to see them enough yeah. uh, episode to episode. That, that's what you're, you're going to complain about. And, you know, you, there's just not enough screen time for Donnie and Allison and uh, Helena. And it just, you know, you, get, you feel like you're getting shortchanged. But, the, but, but you're saying that you're implying that the plot hasn't been so wonky as to distract from the important stuff. Right. Okay. Right. Well, people, you have no excuse to not watch Emmy Award winning Tatiana Maslany for free on Amazon Prime, the Amen. first four seasons. Amen. You must see it. I think she's going to win it again, Dad. I, I don't know so. who she's even up against other than some of the Game of Thrones uh, ladies, perhaps. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you will definitely be covering that. I guess there's about four more weeks. Yes, so I think that's right. I think there's, there's four more weeks. I, I can get, Bizzlecast listeners, you can bank this. If for some reason I can't get you an Orphan Black episode before the end of the season, which I apologize in advance, I hope that's not the case, there will definitely be one at the end of the season. 1,000% is going to happen. So everyone be watching that, BBC America, Papa Bizzle, thank you so much. Anything you want to say to the Bizzlecast listeners? No, I enjoyed it. Thanks. Thank you, people. And uh, we at the Bizzlecast are out.